Great to see you. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis 40, we're, of course, continuing our study of the life of Joseph. And, of course, in the book of Genesis, you know, you got, as we said many times, four great people that stand out, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph. And things look bad for Joseph because Joseph is in Egypt. He's been thrown into prison by his master, Potiphar, and it's a bad, bad place. But God is working always. He plans to raise Joseph to a place of authority. And he's putting Joseph in the right place at the right time, which seems strange to us because we realize that God's working in the events of our lives and he's putting us in the right place at the right time. Well, this evening we see dreams. And uh, God's using dreams not only to reveal information, but really to advance Joseph. It's really an amazing thing. Joseph is able to interpret these dreams, which has happened in his life, and we'll talk more about that. But this evening, dreams, God is putting Joseph in the right place at the right time. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get right on into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for each one who's here tonight. Thanks for the fun that we have as we study the Bible. Lord, thanks for a great meal and those who cooked it and prepared it, and just a great time there. And Lord, thank you for tonight as we can come together and pray and study the Bible. Lord, we just ask you as we look at Genesis, and we see the the book of beginnings, and as we see these these uh, the events, and then the people, and the uh, the things in their lives, and Lord, we realize that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. That you help us to understand the truths there that we can apply in our lives, that we can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, how He came to the earth and died on the cross and paid for sin and was buried and rose again. And we thank you, Lord, for the death and resurrection of our Savior, and how that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, that salvation is a gift. It is not based on our works, our goodness, our righteousness, our faithfulness, or anything. It's simply when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you give to us at that moment eternal life, life forever with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask you that as we look tonight that you would teach us, teach us all of these things now as we study. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have heard people say, you know, God works in mysterious ways. You've heard that Isaiah 55 says, God says that his ways and thoughts are not like our ways and thoughts. In fact, he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above uh, my ways and my thoughts above yours. And that's how he is. You know, God does work sometimes in mysterious ways. I remember read the story about a pastor who had been out of town and he came back and he was met by a man in his church. And the man in the church said, uh, Pastor, it's been a, a bad news. A fire hit our town and Pastor burned my house up completely. And the pastor said, well, see, I told you that you needed to get your life right. And he said, but pastor, your house also burned up. He said, well, God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? It's true. <laughs> well, this evening we're continuing to look at Joseph and how God is working in mysterious ways. And all these events, he's preparing Joseph. If you look at it, humanly speaking, you'd say, this is a mess. Joseph seemed to be a good guy. He's younger, you know, his brothers, and they throw him in a well. He gets shipped off and, and sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites. So they get down to Egypt, and he's sold to Potiphar, and everything looks like it's you know, just a mess. And then before you know it, he's gone, thrown into prison. But one thing we've seen over and over is that God is working in his life and that God has this is a plan. We said from the very beginning, the reason that Joseph is taken down into Egypt is twofold. One is to save his people's lives in the sense that there's a famine coming. God's going to use Joseph to get Egypt to have food so that the Jewish people do not starve to death. There's a second reason he's got Joseph in Egypt, and that is ultimately to get the Jewish people out of the land of Canaan and into the land of Egypt. If not, the Jewish people would have been like Judah, which we saw back in chapter 38, moving further and further away from God's word and God's truth. So God actually removes them from what we'd call the promised land, the land of Canaan puts them down into Egypt so that they will not be contaminated by the 
the the people, the Canaanites, and then he's going to bring them back later. So God's using Joseph to do a lot of things. And uh, this evening, we continue to look at Joseph. We see God is working in this mysterious ways. He's preparing Joseph to raise him up to a place of authority, and he's going to use dreams. Now, dreams have, have played a, a big part in Joseph's life. You remember that he was when he was a young boy. He had the dreams, and the dreams he, he told his brothers. He came to his brothers and said, "I had this dream that that we were out in the field, and we all had sheets. Mine stood straight up. Everybody else's bowed." down to me and what he was saying is the dream says that one day you'll all bow down to me they hated him for that the truth is one day they all bowed down to him it hadn't happened yet in the book it's going to happen but exactly what that dream was there's the dream by the cupbearer and the baker which we're going to see in this chapter chapter 40 that there are two dreams uh, by the man who was called the cupbearer before of the pharaoh and the baker while they're in prison and we're going to see what god does with these dreams and then finally two dreams from the king of egypt the cows and the grain that's coming and joseph is going to be able to interpret those dreams and that's how God's going to take him from being a slave in prison to being second in the kingdom of Egypt. And that's how he's going to be used to save the Jewish people. So there's some great things as we see it. Realize that there's a basically a 13-year time period. Joseph was about 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He is 30 years old when he comes to power. If you, if you read and understand about chapter 41, there's a two-year time period from the end of chapter 40 to the beginning of chapter 41. So he's probably about 27 or 28 when these events are happening in chapter 40. So we're going to see what happens. So he's already been in prison as a slave for maybe as long as 10 to 11 years already. So, you know, if you if you think of this humanly speaking, you believe that God, if you're Joseph, you say, God gave me dreams that God's going to use me to be a ruler and, and, and even my brothers are going to bow down to me. Then you'd say, well, I don't see how this is working out. Because they're not even around here. I'm in Egypt. They're back there. And I'm in prison. And yet God is working. And sometimes in our lives we look at things and we say, this is not working out. Or I don't see how this is going to work out. Or this isn't any way that the way I thought it was going to be. And yet God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. Let me break down the passage for you. Uh, first of all, the dreams of Pharaoh's servants. That's the cupbearer and the baker. That, it's, that's verses 1 through 8. And then Joseph interprets the dreams, verses 9 through 19, where the cupbearer will be restored and the baker will be killed. And then in verses 20 through 23, we actually see the dreams fulfilled. And Joseph, that's why I put it down there, Joseph is forgotten. And we'll see how that ties together. It's actually a short chapter. Uh, you know, uh, well, the last chapter was 23 verses as well. Some of them just longer uh, you know, longer than others, some uh, flow easier and they're easier to study. So tonight, I think we'll get the whole chapter of chapter 40. Let's let's see how God begins to use these dreams to to raise up Joseph. Look at verse uh, chapter 40, verse 1. It came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. It says, it came about after these things. What things? Well, Joseph had been sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard. If you remember, let, let me remind you of this, that Joseph was thrown in a well by his brothers because they were jealous of him because of his dreams, because his father favored him, and, and because he was a tattletale. I mean, that's, that's what we see. He gets thrown into the well. He gets sold to the Ishmaelites. He gets sold to Pharaoh. But God is with him all the way through. And what's so amazing is that he blesses Joseph. And everything Joseph does turns good. And, and Potiphar, who is his, who is the captain of Pharaoh's guard, recognizes that. So he puts Joseph in charge of everything. Joseph is running his whole household and everything is going great until Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with Joseph. 
And she gets everybody out of the house. This She's been going on and on. She's been off saying to Joseph, come lie with me, come lie with me. Oh, day after day, he will not do it. He says, I cannot go against the word of God. I cannot go against my master. And he won't listen to her, basically. But one day he comes in. She, he's the only one there. She says, lie with me. She grabs him. He runs out, leaves his coat. Uh, you know, and she, she says, he tried to rape me. And so when her husband comes in, she says, honey, see the slave you got? He tried to rape me. Here's his clothes. He came in there. Well, we know that Potiphar for uh didn't know exactly what to do because normally the, the he would have just killed a slave just like that but he didn't he went ahead and put him in prison we said last time that maybe it was because he thought he didn't want to miss out on blessings maybe he thought some something was fishy about the whole story maybe he really didn't believe his wife we just we just don't know but anyway instead of killing joseph he puts him in prison and, of course, you say, well, that's, that's, you're a slave, and now you're a prisoner. It's even worse. But it says that the Lord was with him, and everything Joseph did when he was in prison turned good. And so the person who oversaw all the whole prison raised Joseph up to kind of oversee the prison. So Joseph, even he's a prisoner, he's overseeing everything. Everything is good. Well, notice, it came about after these things, all the things we just talked about, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Now, uh, you know, God continues to bless Joseph. Look at back at verse 21 of, of uh, verse 39. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So everything that he does is, is good. Now, we meet here two people, the cupbearer and the baker. Now, the cupbearer, the, the, originally, all the cupbearer's job was, and this sounds like a, a job you might not want to have, and that was, before the king would drink something, you had to taste it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Of course, if you died, the king said, I'm not going to drink that. You know, and, and, but if you drank, if we were fine, he passed it on. That was, but it, later on, not only was he had that position, but it, it was more of a, almost a leadership position. So these men are just, they're just not a guy that brings in the wine. He, he's got a position. Now the baker, of course, was the one who did the food. Now, at the same time, the person who did the food, he made sure that that food was safe to take to the Pharaoh. So both of these men, their life, their lives are on the line every time. Notice what it said, though. They offended their lord, the king of Egypt. The, the word literally in Hebrew is they sinned against. They sinned against Pharaoh. Whatever it is, we don't know. Uh, you know, whenever you deal with somebody with great power, you, you sure want to stay on their good side. But they didn't. The king of 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 Egypt, the Pharaoh, was considered a god. You understand that? He was his firstborn son was a god. That's why when Pharaoh would die, the firstborn son took over. They worshipped a lot of different things in Egypt. They worshipped the Nile River, they worshipped Ra, which was the sun, they worshipped frogs, they worshipped beetles, they worshipped Pharaoh, and they worshipped his son. That's why when the plagues came. That's why the plagues that when you're going to see when when Moses comes and he brings the ten plagues on Egypt, every one of the plagues is against one of the gods of Egypt. Every one of them, including the last one, which was the death of the firstborn. And the death of the firstborn was the death of Pharaoh's son, who, would be, who was a god. Pharaoh's a god, his son's going to be the next god. That's what they thought. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible talks us that people reject the true God and worship the creation, and that's what Egypt did. They worshipped the bugs and frogs and beetles and the sun and the river and, and all of those kind of things. Notice verse 2. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. It, we, we don't know what they did. Doesn't tell us anything about it. He's mad. So what does he do? 
So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Now, th- this is the house of the captain of the bodyguards. This is not just the regular prison. It's kind of a special prison. If you look back at Genesis 30 verse, uh, uh, 39, verse 20, it says, So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This is a special prison. And and Joseph is already in there. He takes these two men, the Pharaoh does. He takes the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he puts them there. And it's the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Now, I think what is so amazing, look at verse 4. The captain of the bodyguard put, put, uh, the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. And he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. It wasn't two or three days. It was a good while. Now, Joseph's in charge, and Joseph, the the captain of the bodyguard, puts Joseph in charge of these men. You understand that it is already amazing that Joseph the slave is already overseeing people. And Joseph the slave is overseeing these prisoners. He's overseeing the court officials. He's in charge of two officials of the king. God is already beginning, in a sense, to raise him up. It doesn't look like it. But he's in a position. Think about the sovereignty of God and his providence. He's working in these events and he's in control. Everything that happens, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. God is working all things together for good. Those that love God, those that are called according to his purpose. There are no coincidences. There are not. There's no fate, chance, or luck. We said this over and over again that God is working all things. And in our lives, the events, the people, everything all flows together in God's plan. God's plan is to raise up Joseph. And God's going to use one of these two men to raise up Joseph. Not both of them, just one of them. And we're going to see what happens. You know, and you think about it in our lives, God is working. The circumstances that we face are used by God to prepare us. The people that come into our lives, that God brings into our lives day in and day out. How do we look at life? Is this a series of events or God working in our lives. It's an amazing thing. Now, it says that they were uh, they were in confinement for some time. You might say it this way. They were there for a number of days. We just don't know how long. It gives an idea that it was a long time. Watch what happens. Here's God beginning his plan. Or, let's say it this way, beginning to work out the plan where we can see it. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in the jail, both had a dream. The same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. So God begins to work this out. He brings dreams to these two men, both same night, same time, but they have their own dreams. And we're going to see, can you imagine these guys wake up and one goes, boy, I had a weird dream. And the guy says, I did too. I had a weird dream. You did? I had a weird dream. Wow. What does it mean? What did your dream mean? I don't know. Because, see, they actually believe that all these dreams always had some kind of meaning. And that's not necessarily true. But God sometimes is working. God has revealed himself sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, before the canon of the Scripture was completed. In fact, at this time, was there any recorded Scripture at this time this event happened? Not anything. So God reveals himself in a lot of ways. We're going to talk more about Revelation in just a second. But uh, they say, I don't know what this dream means. Notice what happens. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. Why are they dejected? Why do you think they're dejected? 
They don't know what the dream is. They don't know what the, they don't know what the dream means. They figure that this has got to mean something big. But they don't know what it is. And they said, what is your dream? And he told him, he said, I don't know what that means. Here's my dream. I don't know what that means. Anybody know what that means? Oh, we're never going to find out what these dreams mean. Joseph comes in and he goes, why are you guys, why are you all so sad looking? He could say, well, we're in prison. What do you think? I mean, we're supposed to be happy? I mean, but notice he's, he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in the master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Now, if you notice verse 7 carefully, he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house. Who is his master? Potiphar. Where, where is this prison? It's at Potiphar's place. See, Joseph wasn't taken some far away place and thrown into prison. Joseph is in prison in Potiphar's household, which was a special prison because, remember, Potiphar was the captain of the bodyguard of the Pharaoh. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in the confinement of his master's house, Why are your faces so sad? Why are you so sad? It, it, we can Literally in the Hebrew, it says, Why are your faces so bad? Because it's like a bad face. They make a bad face. That's what he's saying. You don't look happy. Something looks wrong. So they answered. They said to him, We had a dream and there was no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Now here's their answer. First of all, we had these dreams. We have had dreams. We don't know what it means. We don't have anybody that interprets the dreams. Literally, we dream dreams and nobody can tell us what they mean. But what does Joseph say? God is the one who interprets. Notice how he said it. He said, uh, he said, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Now, what is he saying by that? Interpretation belongs to who? So why tell it to him? Because somehow from God, God is revealing through, Joseph is saying, God is revealing through me the interpretations. Now, God is the one that interprets the dreams, so tell me. Because what he's really saying is, God's the one interpreting them, but he's let me have the ability to tell you what they mean. Because you remember he had the dream with his brothers. You remember he's already had two dreams. You remember his two dreams? One was the, the uh, sheaves were sticking up in the field. What was the other one? Do you remember? He saw the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they all bowed down. And the sun and the moon represented his mother and father, and the stars represented his brothers. And when he told that to his daddy, his daddy said, you think we think we're going to all bow down to you? What was the answer? They did. They did. So he's, he's had these dreams. He still, if he believes that God has given him these dreams, this is Joseph, he knows somehow, somewhere, his family's supposed to bow down to him. That hadn't happened yet. He says, well, does not interpretation belong to God? That's right. God is the one who interprets. Tell me. So he is, implies that God has given him the ability to interpret the dreams. And, and, and uh, how are they going to know if the interpretation is right? Huh? By what? By what happens? But does it come? If he says this, uh, this means this, and this means this, and this is going to happen, if that doesn't happen, then what do they say? You don't know what you're talking about. If it happens, what do they say? You must be an interpreter of the dreams from God. That's what they're saying. So he says, tell me the dream and I'll tell you. You know, tell it to me, please. Now, let's stop for just a minute. And let's just talk about this whole idea of revelation. Because God is revealing himself to these people and he's revealing himself to Joseph and he's revealing different things through dreams.
Uh, there, uh, God has revealed himself. In fact, you look back through history, through dreams and revelations and all kind of different things. I mean, he's revealed himself through a burning bush. He reveals himself through angels. He reveals himself through prophets, through dreams and those kind of things. Uh, there, there's several words I just want to throw up here on the screen for you, just for you to think about that we really need to know. First, there's five words, revelation, inspiration, illumination, interpretation, and application. Those are five key words that we as believers need to know and understand what, how they fit. Let's look at the first one. The first word is revelation. Revelation is God making himself himself known. It's either making himself known or his information known. That's what revelation is. Throughout history, God has revealed himself in a lot of ways. He's revealed himself through the creation. He's revealed himself through dreams. He's revealed himself through angels, through burning bush, through all kind of different ways God has revealed himself. He has revealed himself in this passage by a dream or by dreams. So revelation is God making himself known. The second word is the word inspiration, and that is God making himself known or giving information in a written form. I want you to understand inspiration is revelation in a written form. That's why 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is what? Inspired. The inspired Scripture, the inspired Word of God, is God's revelation in a written form. So we all have in our hands revelation from God in a written form, which is called inspiration. The third word is the word illumination. Illumination is where the Holy Spirit has helped people to understand the Word of God. In other words, as we study the Bible, as we study it in the, as a believer, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand what the Word is talking about. It helps us as we study tonight. We're all of us here. We, we all, hopefully we're all in fellowship, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And as we're looking at the passage, and as we're thinking through it, and as I've studied it, as you're studying it, we say, this is what this means the Holy Spirit helps us to put it together. Sometimes you study and you go, wow, I've never seen that before. I mean, it's there. I just never thought about it in that way. Where does that come from? That's the Holy Spirit illuminating the Scripture for us. The fourth thing is interpretation. And I want to make a little bit of change here. Interpretation is really understanding the meaning. What does it say? Realize there is only one interpretation, many applications. That's true almost every time. That an interpretation is what does this passage mean? Application is how can I apply it? Sometimes, though, there are some places in the Scripture where there is what we call a near and a far fulfillment or an interpretation. Sometimes a passage in the Old Testament will say something like, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bring forth a child. If you read that passage in Isaiah 7, there is a near fulfillment because a child there spoken was, was talking about a king's son who would be born very shortly. But there is a far fulfillment of that passage, which is the Messiah being born to Mary. So some passages, when you say the interpretation, sometimes there's an, especially if it's a prophecy, there may be a near and a far fulfillment. But as a rule, whenever you study the scripture, there's always basically one interpretation of a passage. What does this mean? There may be many applications, okay? Because if we said, cast all your cares upon him, what's the, what's the application? I mean, what's the interpretation? Take your cares and, and give them to God. Okay, then what's the application? Well, we all got different cares. So we all got different things that we would say, well, I'm, I'm giving this to God or I'm giving this to God. The last one is the word application. Of course, that's applying the word. That's living out what it says. That's taking the truths and, and living them out. That's what application is. They all go together. Revelation, inspiration, illumination, interpretation, and application. Now, in this passage, we're seeing revelation, God making himself known, and we're seeing interpretation where Joseph is going to tell what this stuff means. And uh, the, the bottom line today is God reveals himself through his written revelation, 
inspired. And that's why it's, it's so important. Let me, let me show you this, that God has revealed himself in three different ways. That technically, there's all kind of things, but he's revealed himself through the world. Romans 1.20 talks about the creation. Through the creation, the eternal power in Godhead is clearly seen through the creation, so that people are without excuse. So God has revealed himself through the world. He's revealed himself through the word. First Peter talks about the word of God and, and, and that he makes that known. And then he's revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time, but the son, the only begotten son, has revealed him. So those kind of things. First uh, Peter, the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, that kind of stuff. So there's all kind of things there. So God has revealed himself through the creation, through the, the Bible, and through his son. Now, right now, there's only so much you can gain from creation. You can see the eternal power and sovereignty of God. And Jesus Christ is not here. Where is he? See the right hand of the throne of the Father. So where do we have to go to get the revelation of God? We get it from the, the inspired word of God. That's where we go. We got the word of God. Um, Peter said this. And he was talking about the fact that he had gone up on the mountain with Jesus and he had seen Jesus transformed to how he's going to look as the king. We call that the Mount of Transfiguration. In First Peter, Peter writes and actually says, we have something better. He said, I was on the mountain with Jesus, but I have something better than that. And he says, it is the written word of God. So the word of God which is written, which does not change, is actually better than experience. Because we're not always sure what, what experience is. We may say, I experienced that, but I don't even know if that's right or not. I don't know if that's true. So that's why God has given us a written revelation. And from Genesis to Revelation, the book of Revelation, it is complete. Canon is complete today. We have the more sure word, as Peter says. How do you view the revelation? How do you view God's written revelation? Do you realize it's to you? Now, when you go to the Bible and you read it, Please don't do things like this. That's my. That's me. This is me. Whatever it says right there, uh, go hang yourself. Oh, boy, that's a bad one. I better go over to this one. You know, the thing about it is a lot of people do that. When you study the Bible, you look at its context. Who, do, who was it written to? When was it written? What was it written for? There are many things that were written to people, especially in the New Testament, the letters written to the churches. They were written to particular churches at particular times for a particular purpose. There are many things out of that we can apply but we can't say that everything was written directly for us. We can look at it and make application from it. So we realize that the Scripture is authority for our lives. Do we realize that the Scripture is true? John 17, 17, that word is truth. And do we realize that the Scripture is to be applied? So that's how we look at the Bible. It's from God. It's to us. It's the authority. It's the truth. And we're to live it out in our lives. Well, let's see what happens. Uh, they're going to tell the dream. Joseph says, um, verse 8, They said to him, We have this dream, and there's no one to interpret it. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations, interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Tell me what it is. So the chief cupbearer took his dream to jo- told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. And he starts and he says, I saw this vine, and, and they, they had these three branches and everything, and then these you know grapes came out and everything. And now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. He said, so in my dream, I saw these three vine thing comes out and the grapes, and so I took the grapes and I squeezed them in the cup, and I said, here, have a drink. You know, that's what I did. That's my dream. But I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Joseph said to him in verse 12, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. 
Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cup bearer. What's going to happen? You're going to be restored to your position. And how many days from now? Three days. Listen, if this guy's right, we're going to know pretty quickly, right? Because we got if, it, if it's four days from now and it hadn't happened, we say, I don't think you knew what you were talking about. Okay? If you're the baker, what do you think? That is a good dream. And I just happen to have three things in my dream too. So this may be the, this may be the day I've been waiting for. Now, Joseph said to him, and the interpretation, three branches, three days, within three days you'll be lifted up and you'll give him the cup. Now, that sounds so great, but look what Joseph says in verse 14. Only keep me in mind when it all goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and to get me out of this house. For I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing that they should have put me in the dungeon. So he says, listen, do me a favor. When you get out of here, don't forget me, because I'm not supposed to be in here. I haven't done anything wrong. In fact, I, I'm a Hebrew. I got captured and thrown into uh, slavery and, and, and thrown into the dungeon. I didn't even do anything wrong to get in here. So remember me when you get out. That sounds really good. And by the way, when he says uh, that I've been thrown into this, this dungeon, you know, they put me in this dungeon. The word dungeon literally means a hole. He basically says I've been thrown in a hole. Well, notice verse 16. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, Hey, how about my dream? Because, I mean, he's getting out of here in three days, and, and mine has three-something in it too, so I'm, I'm hoping mine's going to work out good. He said, I saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. So... Three days, I'm out of here, right? I mean, that's basically what I'm thinking. Well, you'd think so. But Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. I knew it. That's right. Yeah, three days, three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. And you will hang on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh off you. What? What did he say? What did he say? What did he say? In three days, Pharaoh's going to cut off your head. And they're going to hang you up on a tree and the birds are going to come to eat your flesh. Are you sure? I mean, the other guy's getting out. He said, you're getting out, but it's not going to turn out exactly like you thought. Hang you, birds will eat your flesh. That's not near as good a dream as the first one, right? At least their interpretation didn't. So watch what happens. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He lifted them up. He basically took them out of prison. Now, it was three days later. Three days later just happened to be what? Pharaoh's birthday. Wow. Everything is coming about just like Joseph said, notice, he restored the chief cupbearer to his office and put and he put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. That's exactly what Joseph said would happen. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Notice this, just as Joseph interpreted. You know why? Because it's from God. It's not from Joseph. 
It's from God. And whatever God's revelation is always true. Wow, what a story. It's not over. You can see Joseph going as, as, as they're leaving. Don't forget me. Don't forget, don't forget me. Tell them I'm in here. Remember? Remember, tell them. Three days. It worked out perfectly, right? Don't forget me. Yet, verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. If you're Joseph, you're saying, what a break. The one guy that, that if I told him and he got out, you'd think he'd remember me. You'd think he would go to the king and say, hey, there's a guy in there that can interpret dreams, and maybe we ought to get him out because he did some good stuff. Humanly speaking, we say, this is not right. Divinely speaking, we say, God's working his plan. It's just not what we think it ought to be at this time. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. Do you know, look how verse 40, chapter 41 starts. Now it happened at the end of two full years. He didn't wait another week, two weeks, six weeks, a couple months, three months, six months, 12 months. He waited two more years in prison. And by the time two years have passed, he said, I'm never getting out of here. Because, I mean, that guy never, he had his chance. I mean, if you're going to remember, you're going to remember pretty quickly. You, and as the days go by, you're not going to remember anymore. What's God going to do? We've seen God has given dreams. The result is Joseph is being raised up, and he's the cupbearer, and the cupbearer and the baker have these dreams, and Joseph interprets, and both of them come true. But Joseph is still left in prison. Let me give you some applications to think about this passage. First of all, let's base our lives on the written revelation. That's what we got from God. The Word of God has been revealed to us. God has revealed himself uh, to the world, through the nation, through the Son, but the written revelation is the key. We live according to the Scriptures. So let's base our lives off the written revelation. In fact, it is the authority. It's from God to us. It is the authority. All Scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. The man of God may be what? Adequate, which means mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is the authority from God to us. B, it is always reliable. It is reliable. It's the Word of God. It's always true. It's always right. That's why when Joseph interpreted the dream, which was an interpretation from God, it's going to exactly be true because God's Word is always true. So how do you view the Bible? Uh, Heather, how do you view the Word of God? It's true. And what should we do? We should dig it. We should study it. Second Timothy, we're going to, you know, I was thinking again about all the great verses in Second Timothy that we're studying on Sunday mornings. In Second Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself to prove a word and then you not be ashamed. Handling accurately the word of God. Study the scripture. Dig the scripture. We want to live by the word. So very first application we can see is base our lives on the written revelation because we got it. Joseph didn't have written revelation. Moses, for a long time, did not have written revelation. When do you think he wrote the first five books? He's past 80. I mean, he was 40 years old. He grew up in Pharaoh's household at 40 and then left. And for 40 years, he was on the backside of the desert. He was 80 years old when he came back to lead the nation out. He, he led the nation out after 
after all of that, and probably during the 40-year wilderness, is when he got revelation to write these things down. So most of Moses' life, he didn't have any written revelation until God gave it. We have it. The end from the beginning. Number two, remember that God is always faithful. He's always faithful. The cupbearer forgot Joseph, but God didn't forget Joseph. And sometimes people in our lives, and let's just face it, we're friends, we love each other, we're in the body of Christ, we're together, but we're not always faithful. And we may say, don't worry, I'll be right there. And then you go, oh, I was supposed to be there at 8 o'clock, I forgot all about it. Right? You can't depend on us, right? I mean, we try the best we can, and we're going to try to be faithful and reliable, but God is always faithful. Faithful to save, faithful to provide, faithful to return. One of these days, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I get it ready, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Come back and get us. In the moment of a twinkle of an eye, wow, it's going to be just like that. Third thing, trust God in the events of our lives. He's working, even if it doesn't look like it. There are things that he brings into your life now, which he is using to prepare you to do other things for him later on. I mean, you're doing things. We're supposed to be doing things for him every day, and that's the process of our life as he's conforming to the image of Jesus. He's given us spiritual gifts of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're serving him. But even the things that he brings into our lives now are preparing us to continue to be used by God, not only now, but in the days to come. And you can look back on your life, and you can see how things happened, and then you look at your life now and say, boy, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be able to do this, or how this did this, and and all of those kind of things. Just as he's preparing Joseph, and it doesn't even look like it. Joseph says, I'm just sitting here. This is miserable. It's been at least two years since those guys left, and, 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 and they didn't do anything for me. But Joseph knows. He has to know. That God is working all things according to the counsel's will. We have to trust Him. He's putting us in the right place at the right time. Always is. We have to trust Him. So may we base our lives on God's perfect word. May we trust Him in the circumstances of life, knowing He's in control and He's working. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this passage tonight. Lord, thank you for the book of Genesis. There's just so much in it. Lord, and I, we just love it. And thank you, Lord, as we look at how you're working in all these things, that you're sovereign and you're working all these things, and, and that uh, we have the written word of God, and it's our authority, and it's the truth. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that we can go to the Bible anytime, anyplace, anywhere, that you have given us a written revelation, that it doesn't change, that we can read it over and over, we can understand it, we can know it, and we can apply it. May we do that. Lord, thank you that you're always faithful, even when we're not faithful. You are faithful because that's who you are. That's your character. And whatever you say, you do. And, Lord, may we trust you as the things go in our lives, resting in you, knowing that even though things don't even look right sometimes, that you have never left us. You always love us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You're working all things according to the counsel of your will, and we can trust you in everything, even when we don't understand. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy to us in Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.